Norman, you ever read this book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? I found it in the John. Probably somebody's misguided attempt at levity. I always loved this book. Could never get past page 87, though. Too scary. You know, you seem strangely detached given our predicament. Secret Cinema, the film podcast where the subconscious reigns supreme. I'm Paolo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and we're joined again by friend of the podcast Josh Benson to discuss Barry Levinson's 1998 underwater sci-fi thriller Sphere. Before we begin, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to Marga Gomez, the actress who plays Navy Petty Officer Jane Edmonds. Edmonds is one of two officers charged with running the underwater habitat that most of the film takes place in, the other officer being Queen Latifah's character, Teeny. While Gomez's role on screen is largely trivial, I feel bad about completely forgetting her and her character's name in the discussion. So, Marga Gomez, there it is, and now here's Carrie with the plot summary. Dr. Norman Goodman, a psychologist has been brought to the middle of the Pacific Ocean to assist with what he thinks is a downed aircraft. What he learns is that the United States government has discovered a spaceship on the floor of the ocean, estimated to have been there for almost 300 years. Dr. Goodman is joined by a marine biologist, a mathematician, an astrophysicist, and a U.S. Navy captain to embark on a journey underwater. What they find isn't a spaceship, but their worst nightmares. Spears' screenplay suffers from overly expository dialogue that emphasizes our protagonist's intelligence and the film's science fiction aspirations over any sort of subjective experience. To make matters worse, the boring scenes of exposition are balanced out by scenes where characters behave illogically, or fail to explain things that would be of genuine interest to the viewer. In our first clip, Liev Schreiber's character Ted explains how a black hole put a spaceship on the ocean floor. And if you don't know what a black hole is, the screenwriters have got you covered. Here's that clip. Okay. An American spacecraft, materials and technology more advanced than anything we know of, crashes into the ocean. If it crashed, why wasn't it damaged? The materials are obviously super strong. If that's the case, how come it chipped when you banged on it? Okay. Better. It didn't crash. It arrived. 300 years ago. From where? Not from where, from when. So you're saying this thing took a wrong turn? Yeah, that's right. I mean, what if the craft inadvertently flew into a black hole? It arrived in our past from its present. What about those dates you saw on the flight report? 4347. That's right, that has to be 2043, 2047. That image that you told me you saw on the monitor, from what you described, that sounds exactly like a black hole, a tear in we the We know space. what a black hole is, Ted. I don't know what a black hole is. A black hole is a collapsed dead star that has so much gravity it acts like a huge vacuum cleaner sucking everything into it. Uh, light interstellar dust, time. Time? It's possible, but not plausible. <laughs> it's more than probable. It's rudimentary astrophysics. We just haven't been able to fly into one and prove it. 
Now, for contrast, here's our second clip, in which Samuel L. Jackson's character Harry explains how he translates a number-based code that's supposedly coming from an alien. If you were it, how would you know our alphabet? Same way it's configured on a keyboard, but reflected in an orb, spherically. A keyboard, but spherical. Take a keyboard, wrap it around a sphere, then, starting at the center key, G, number the letters spiraling out. Yeah, you the man! Got it, Harry. Still got it. Still got the juice. And our third clip, featuring a brief exchange between Dustin Hoffman's character Norman, Sharon Stone's character Beth, and Peter Coyote's character Barnes, is all the explanation and discussion we are given regarding the death of Jane Edmonds. Save a few comments about the condition of her corpse. I need a report, Beth. I don't know what the hell's going on out there. There are eggs everywhere. Should have brought one back. No, I wasn't up for an Easter egg hunt. Maybe that's what Edmonds was doing. I want to talk to Jerry. As you may have picked up from the previous samples, Sphere also suffers from a bizarre lack of typical human emotion. Whether experiencing something awe-inspiring or terrifying, our protagonists tend to respond blandly or not at all, and while the performances and directing play a part in this strange disconnect, the screenplay does not give them much to work with. In our final clip, Norman recalls a traumatic incident involving jellyfish as Beth performs an autopsy of sorts on Teenie. Considering that, one, Norman and Beth are trapped under the ocean for an unknown amount of time, two, one of the two people running their habitat has died during a routine errand, three, Norman and Beth had an affair years prior, leading to Beth attempting suicide, and four, Beth is actively pulling jellyfish off Teenie's bloated corpse, you'd think the conversation would have a little bit of intensity or complexity to it. Here's that clip, and we'll see you on the other side for our discussion of Sphere. Ooh, God. When I was five years old, I went out on a boat with my father. He told me not to jump in the water, so of course I did, and, uh, I, I, uh, oh my. I jumped right into a school of these guys. Not this big, though. I think every one of them had a shot at me. I don't know what this lady felt, but man, it, it went beyond pain. It was, it was, I've been afraid of them ever since. Would it make you feel any better if I told you this wasn't exactly a jellyfish? What do you mean? I mean, jellyfish like this are unheard of. I don't know what this is, but it isn't God's creation. of Secret Cinema, and we have a returning guest, Mr. Josh Benson. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming back, Josh. Of course. Mr. Mr. Who's that? I mean, not doctor. <laughs> <laughs> or the opposite of Mr. Anti-Josh Benson. <laughs> but we're here. Well, he could have been if he went in the sphere. And that's what we're here for. We're here for the sphere. 1998, uh... You, I guess it would technically be a thriller, <laughs> not not in actuality, but Barry Levinson's 1998 
uh, deep sea, deep sea wonder wheel sphere, uh, and we're gonna talk about it. And as you can kind of tell from our tone, this movie is really stupid. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, can you tell us what you thought of this? Uh, you said you'd never seen this before. I hadn't seen it before. Um, I hadn't even heard of it, to be honest. So I came in with like nothing, had no clue. I even told uh, Carrie and Paula that I didn't even want to know what movie we were going to watch beforehand, <laughs> so I could have complete surprise, and and I was surprised. <laughs> in a good way or in a bad way? In a interesting way. Oh, okay. Well, that bodes well for uh, for you, I guess. Yeah, Carrie, you've you've seen this now. What this will be your third time? So at least. Yeah. So what do you think of it? I hate this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a Barry Levinson fan. Uh, If you've listened to our episode about Man of the Year, he also directed that. And then they were like, uh, oh, you know what? Barry Levinson, uh, deep sea movie, let's watch that. So for some reason you put this on our secret cinema list. I feel like you have some explaining to do. Yeah, well... About why this is even on our list for Secret The reason cinema. it's on our Secret Cinema list is I've seen this movie probably about a hundred times, <laughs> and it definitely gets worse with each viewing, but most of those first a hundred viewings were when I was like a 12-year-old boy, and it's when it came out in, right after Titanic, and there's like this big period of, there's like a period of like, what, five years where just Hollywood is willing to spend millions of dollars on like expensive underwater blockbusters and i we love deep rising deep rising is the best possible <laughs> knockoff of titanic and this is like one of the worst titanic, possible not titanic. <laughs> no it totally is it totally is the aftermath of titanic they're like boat at sea crazy what's the Monster. dumbest what's the dumbest version of that like <laughs> instead of an iceberg what if it's an octopus and this movie <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's just so... It's fear. But, well, okay, but anyway. But when I was a kid, it, this has, like, a lot of the stuff where I was like, oh, this is, of course, a great movie, because it has, like, monsters, and it has, it has that slasher movie thing where people get picked off, and they're trapped in a closed space, and there's a lot of things that, when I didn't really know anything about movies, it seemed awesome. And coming back to it as an adult, when I introduced it to Carrie, I realized that in all the times I watched it, I never really understood what was actually happening. And I kind of <laughs> you actually just liked had, watching people die underwater. More or less, yeah. I, like, as a twelve-year-old, I loved like I loved Lethal Weapon because so many people died. <laughs> Lethal Weapon, like I, that body count was a big deal. And this doesn't have a big body count, so again, I'm pretty surprised. I cared, but it is, um, I, I do have kind of like a working theory about more or less what happens, but, uh, uh, knowing about filmmaking and knowing about how shitty Barry Levinson is, it really just, like, my eyes are wide open to how terrible of a movie this is. So. It's interesting that you watched this, like, a hundred times when you were 12 years old, because I feel like 12 years old is the age where you're totally willing to give a movie attention that it does not deserve Another... in any way. Like, I I was just thinking about the movies I watched when I was 12 that I watched, you know, like a hundred times. They were all those three-plus-hour technical or They're musicals. So Ugh. I watched so many of those, and I gave them so much of my undivided attention, and there's, like, no reason they deserve it. Oh, for me, it was stuff like this. I mentioned Lethal Weapon. 
uh, <laughs> volcano. If you're a volcano, <laughs> that type of garbage. I loved disaster movies. What about you, Josh? What did you watch when you were twelve years old? I, I have a bad, bad. Uh... Do you watch like The Mask? I watched Sound of Music way too. Much. <laughs> <laughs> I had like the VHS tapes that I had, like put like part one and part two. Did in. you watch it so much that after a while the VHS is warped? Mm -hmm. It was it was it's sad. Yeah, but that's the movie that I watched way too much. <laughs> At least Sound of Music can be argued to be a good movie. Right. Sphere, I feel like works. the first first VHS is probably really good, and the second one you like right. stop like, halfway right. through. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike Titanic, <laughs> where the, the second show up. if you're a oh, Titanic pro, the second VHS of Titanic is the only one that gets watched. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's let's get into the plot of Sphere. Like, do it do it <laughs> try to approach this linearly or chronologically. Ugh. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> we kind of have to go full circle as well. Boom. <laughs> All right, on the on the board. Well, okay. So Sphere starts with <laughs> Huey Lewis flying a helicopter, <laughs> where the passenger is Dustin Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman is this man named Norman Goodman. He is a psychologist. His last name is Goodman. Yeah, oh. Norman Goodman. And they're flying to the middle of the ocean, and Huey Lewis is like, I don't know, they didn't tell me anything about a plane crash, but Dustin Hoffman's like, well, it's definitely a plane crash. I, my, the reason they would call a psychologist out to the middle of the ocean is because a plane crashed. I thought someone originally told him it was a plane crash. Maybe too. someone did. Yeah, I think he I was, like, was under the assumption that I was there like was... the cover. Of, yeah. Like, yeah. Once he got there, he's like, oh. Everyone. And once he got there. Everyone's like, oh, you're a fucking what, dumbass. What <laughs> plane crash? <laughs> Why did they bring this dumbass? Yeah. But the, he gets he gets to, like, the, the middle of the Pacific, and there's just, like, a bunch of naval uh, ships, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, Huey Lewis doesn't give a shit. He's Huey Lewis like, is like, gone. What's the helicopter lands? Huey That's Lewis. That's the power of love. He just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. He's the news. Uh, so <laughs> he, he, Dustin Hoffman's trying to figure out what's going on. He bumps into... Uh, an astrophysicist friend of his named Ted, or maybe he, I, I could not figure out how they all knew Ted and hated him already, but I did not exactly understand why. Well, I think he, he published a book and then he bragged about it to everyone, I feel like, and they were like, all right, you had like the one book and you like are so proud of it. Yeah, but that's the weird thing is all of the people, all of the main characters in this movie, they're all PhD scientists, but they all have very different fields of study. Yeah. So so why would a psychologist, a.k.a. Dustin Hoffman, know an astrophysicist, a.k.a. Ted? Well, they kind of Although, get into did it. they go to school together? They, they kind they of did mentioned go to MIT this. a few times. Like, they are like, oh, I went to MIT. Yeah, yeah, I went to MIT. Yeah, there's like a brief thing where, uh, just really quickly, Sharon Stone is a biochemist and Sam Jackson is a mathematician and Ted is Liam Schreiber. But they are all being brought to the middle of the ocean because at some point they, they say that there was an administration change in the government. Bush and, Reagan, I and think. Some, yeah, some government official, presumably George George H. W. Bush, was like, Mr. Goodman, Mr. Goodman, I need a report. I need a report on aliens. And again, I don't know how a psychologist got put in the position of writing this. That seems like the last person. But he bullshitted the paper and was like just apparently filled in names of people he knew. Like Beth was his patient as a psychologist, and he said he knew Ted's father. And I guess Harry was the one person he legitimately knew, but they don't really explain that. But 
I, and and the, this paper was what the government saw and was like, oh, okay, we met aliens, so let's do what the paper says. But this is another thing I was thinking of, which is why when you'd write a hypothetical procedure for how to deal with something, would you write specific people's names for like? Yeah, like, he wrote, <laughs> he he basically wrote the paper like ten years earlier. Exactly. Or yeah. If, like it's so all ten of all the people he listed, they're they're still as good or relevant in their field. It, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It no. seems like they would at least try to get like the best. Or, yeah, like, whatever. There's gonna, so many so more. Many things we can get there's, up on. there's so many more important glaring errors <laughs> in yeah. this movie than but that. Anyway, so the <laughs> point being, uh, so the government has assembled this team uh, based on Norman uh, Dustin Hoffman's report uh, to go under the ocean a thousand feet deep to where this spacecraft is. And apparently the spacecraft based on the coral that's grown around it landed there in like 1709 and something's still on board. So the Navy wants these four people separate from the Navy to go inside the ship and check it out. And that's how we get everybody. Four people who've never done any deep sea diving whatsoever. Yeah. And so they, they, but they're the best qualified to go check out this alien under, under I think someone from, like, NASA would be there. Yeah. Why would there be, like, an aquatic engineer? Like an astrophysicist from NASA. Yeah. <laughs> Not the son of a guy that a guy knew once. Like, it's... But, so, na- the Navy sets up this, like, spherical uh, <laughs> area <laughs> next to the spacecraft, and they take everyone down under the guide of Captain Barnes, who is Peter Coyote, and then there's these two women uh, who are naval officers who are, like, operating the base, and one is Queen Latifah, and the other is a woman who doesn't matter. <laughs> the most she does is she brings out muffins once, yeah, and then she dies in a, a pointed way. Dies in a very confusing way, but we're, yeah. we'll get to that. All right, so everyone's underwater, and I guess there's, like, there's a, a variety of, we kind of mentioned, everyone knows each other. Like, Norman uh, picked, wrote Beth in the paper because Beth was one of his, like, patients. But they also had an affair together, and Norman was married, and Beth was And she troubled. tried to kill herself because he was married, and so well, and she's, the- like, con- she's considered emotionally unstable, which... The only woman scientist is considered emotionally unstable. The only woman smart enough to not be killed by a non-lethal animal is melting down. But also, Harry and Ted have, like, this... Harry is Samuel Jackson's character, and there's some sort of... Like, Harry just inherently doesn't like Ted, and Ted is competitive with Harry, and they have all these various, like... They're constantly having a peeing contest. But, yeah, there's, like, interpersonal beefs, and Captain Barnes just seems to hate everybody. <laughs> he just yells at everybody all the time. I'm just doing orders. <laughs> yeah. And then Queen Latifah and... That's funny, actually, that you woman. say that, Josh, the, uh, I'm just following orders, yeah. is because the last movie that we covered on The Secret Cinema with Peter Coyote in it... He played a sergeant who just followed orders. Oh, yes. That's his character. Parallels. Okay, anyway, back to Sphere. So I'll circle it back. So they get down <laughs> to the living quarters, and I want to say the timeline in this movie is really fucked up. Like, it seems like they set... There's so much happening very slowly. And, but And also, right. like, it cut in a way where it seems like things happen right immediately after other things, where it, you're like, there had to have been at least an hour in between. 
And a perfect example is they get to the living quarters, and I want to say in the movie, it's like less than a minute later they are heading into the spaceship <laughs> for the first time. All these people who have like never really dived. Well, and there's the whole thing of they arrive, they learn there's an alien spaceship, and five minutes later they're going underwater. I think they yeah. said there like was like two feet. weeks of training or something. There should have been yeah, like a montage, like. Like, with a weird song playing in the background. Yeah. Oh, great! Like, there should have been some kind of, like, fast-forward montage. Yeah. Instead, there was a boring montage of them oh, getting man. interviewed by a doctor. Yeah, actually, Armageddon has, like, a more thorough training sequence <laughs> than this movie does. Oh, uh, what is it about, like, 90s, quote-unquote, action thrillers where they're all an hour too long? Was it, it, was it during a time where the studios were, like, movies... That our action movies have to be two hours or audiences won't go see well, them. Well, this is too long because it's a Michael Crichton book. Yeah. And this is four, what, four or five years after Jurassic Park came out? Right. And Jurassic Park is about this long. And so there's a the whole thing where it's like, it's a Michael Crichton book. It's, it's genius. You can't cut out any of the genius. Right, but I was just thinking about, you said Armageddon. The other day we were talking about The Rock. Well, structurally, Armageddon... The Rock, and I also lump in Independence Day, are all that way because they have, like, a big action set piece in the beginning, there's fallout from the action set piece, then the actual movie starts. And so there's, like, 45 minutes of, like, good, interesting setup leading to the rest of Mm. the movie, whereas this, it is literally just way too fucking long because (laughs) they're like, well, Jurassic Park was long, so people love long Michael Creighton movies. Yeah, but Jurassic Park... Oh, man, studio execs. Jurassic Park had dinosaurs in it. This doesn't even have a squid in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It has, it has the biggest squid. monster is a, is a snake. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> or a jellyfish. <laughs> Which, by the way, Paolo found out that that sea snake uh, in the movie, mm-hmm. the, the one that attacks Dustin Hoffman, was designed by a member of the band Linkin Park. <laughs> yeah. The DJ. What?! <laughs> How do you get that gig? I don't know. Did he do it and then join Linkin Park, or was who like, knows? Yeah, I don't. I don't really know when Linkin Park's heyday started. Yeah, neither do I. Before nineteen ninety eight, though. <laughs> yeah. I would think so. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, yeah we'll have to look it up. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah, let's. Okay, so they they went into they go into the spaceship and. They quickly just, like, the spaceship has, like, <laughs> like no water inside of it. It's, like, completely airtight. Uh, they're walking around. They, I don't know. It's just, like, I, I'm kind of... The ship just opens also. Yeah. Yeah, and they think it's they a good have, idea to walk in. Oh, this is almost... It's like, like a classic, like, creepy movie where they're like, oh, it just... It opened up. Yeah. We let's, didn't push let's go on in. It's yeah. like the pit, and they get picked off, just like one of those scary movies. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's got a very Prometheus feeling of like there's these really smart people. They're all super scientists, but they're not. They're like, oh, I'm on a foreign planet. Let me take my helmet off, or let me go into this spaceship that's 300 yeah. years old. Like, yeah. All had, of like, these seem like good decisions. Yeah, they should have had like a captain on their crew or something like that. They so, even like, say it end of the movie that it's a hundred million dollars worth of equipment they couldn't get one of those like swimming robots that goes and explores ships that's how they found 
Yeah, yeah actually, that, yeah, the Titanic sunk like at least ten years before this. <laughs> the, the technology was available, and also anyway. again, the Navy sends people who aren't the Navy to handle ten a hundred million dollars of naval equipment. Yeah, yeah logic also, isn't happening in this movie. No. Also, <laughs> if this movie was made now, there would be a character from another country, at least one. Oh, an Asian guy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. there'd probably be an Asian guy or like a Russian scientist or something because there's no way that there's this like alien spaceship that's hiding underwater for 300 years and other countries aren't going to yeah. get in on you're it you're 100% right it's totally yeah. an Asian guy yeah. <laughs> I mean Chinese guy yeah it's like the, the Asian guy in sunshine well no it's it's like you know this thing about how like China is the big market now, yeah. and so it's oh, like, yeah. like in Iron Man three, there's a whole subplot about like a Chinese doctor that's only there for like Asian audiences. Like it's, mm. it's yeah, it's a, uh, it's a very keep an eye out for that next time you watch a movie. Yeah. I will. Okay, so they're in the spaceship. They find the trash can that says trash basura, Spanish trash. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, oh man, so this spaceship is from a period of time when. Uh, it's an yeah. English it's, spaceship. It's, it's, it, yeah, the people speak English, and it's so it's it's confusing. You're like, hmm, 1709, but respectful of Spanish phrasing. This is very <laughs> weird. And uh, they split up because, of course, they do. And it's somewhere around this point when they split up that they find out they have like 30 minutes of oxygen left. A fact that is brought up seemingly only to frustrate me. Yes. <laughs> like, so like they, they stay in that spaceship for at least another hour or so after that. Not to mention the trek back from the spaceship to their habitat. But anyway. There's so many loose threads in that so scene. So many. Yeah. Where they... The, the shoe prints. Yeah. Why? Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> and, the, and the blue diamond almonds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, they get on the ship, and again, let's just state this again. They... Get to the ship, the door opens of on its own, they walk inside, they see shoe prints in this supposedly 300-year-old spaceship. That's never been entered. That's never been entered. They find uh, an English and Spanish translation on a trash can, and then they find the, like, Captain logs they, or something? They, well, they, find, they go up to the cockpit on accident. Like, they yeah. just step on a platform and it turns out up. to be an elevator that shoots them, like... However many hundreds of stories up into the air. And that's when we discover that the 300-year-old underwater spaceship is actually a spaceship from the future that went into a black hole. Yeah. Okay, and so as soon as they find this out, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there's like an immediate cut where... Instead of splitting up, they're all back together again. Well, in the sphere room. In the room where they discovered the sphere. Right. Room. There was many times before, like, as they were, like, discover. oh, the trash. They discovered that. And then they discover things. And I was like, why aren't they, like, telling the other team, hey, I just found this. Like, Right, yeah. And then they eventually just, like, oh, by the way, let's all meet up again. We should actually... They let's, cut that out. Let's yeah, step they're... back for a moment to just emphasize nobody in this movie gives a shit about anything that happens. <laughs> it, they, it's not even that they're not impressed. It's that they don't even register things. Like, they're just so blandly, like, placid in every single situation. There is some yelling, but it's like like a calm, placid person all of a sudden yelling and then just going back to, like, neutral, blank expression. Yeah, there's no... Uh, nobody is... 
looking at anything going, wow, that's incredible. And these are scientists go, or essentially we can broadly say scientists going to a thousand feet under the ocean, which, and like it indicated for the first time in their lives to see a spaceship, the first time ever that like space travel has been proven and it's been here for 300 years. And it's time traveling too. Yeah, don't forget that part. They're not obviously impressed by any of this. Well, and uh, the the really cool part was when they do see the black hole. Those visuals were crazy. Yeah, they were probably the best thing about. But the then whole there movie. was some like '80s analog stuff that like they were trying to get see the whole backlog of events where the ship has been and everything. Yeah, and it was like looked like it was like from an '80s thriller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just there's a really funny shot too because they they're going through the touchscreen. And it says unknown entry event, and they watch the video for the black hole, and they hit it, and it becomes this like fully uh, like they're fully it takes immersed. Over the room. Yeah, they're fully immersed in this three dimensional projection, projection yeah. of them flying through like the gas clouds of stars and things like that. And then very briefly, uh, the movie just cuts to a shot of like the corpse of the captain of the ship, like, like with like stars flying through, and then like completely never shows them again. It's just like so. It's like a very weirdly beautiful poetic scene and then just they have to show like a corpse like being like brushed with stars for just no clear reason but i want to go back to what you're saying about how everyone's kind of just accepting what's happening as it goes they everyone seems about as excited as if they were like walking into a grocery store they're like wow oh grapefruit's on sale like, yeah, it's like, great. The only person who feigns excitement is Sharon Stone's character, uh, Beth. When they're walking out to the spaceship, she's like, wow, are you guys seeing this? I even, are like, noted this? that. But she said it very monotone. Yeah. yeah. Like, still. Like. That's, that's the other thing that doesn't help, is I felt like every actor was really phoning it in. Yeah, especially Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, oh it's my gosh. Hard, it's, I hate to say... It's kind of hard to tell when Samuel L. Jackson is phoning it in yes. because he's so good. We talked about this in Lakeview Terrace, which is like a better movie than yeah, this. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Lakeview Terrace, he does he does a really good job of like like seeming very menacing, being menacing while also seemingly not even like flexing an acting muscle. He's very good at it. I and feel like this yeah. movie, they wanted us to hate him, but like eventually towards the end, you're like, oh, I guess we shouldn't have hated him because yeah. it wasn't his fault. But like. I still hate him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, like I said, he was he was kind of playing a line of insanity versus sanity, but it it was never clear which one he was. Well, and and then same with Sharon Stone, where Sharon Stone is clearly like crazy to a certain degree, and then behaves illogically in a way the movie doesn't try to make us empathize with. So it just comes across like. Oh, she's as crazy as everybody says she is. Yeah. And then Ted isn't necessarily bad, but all the characters... He's just so narcissistic. The character we're introduced to, uh, the movie through Dustin Hoffman, and then Harry both more or less don't like him. And so we're like put in the position where we're also supposed to kind of not really like him. And then Captain Barnes just yells at everybody. So yeah, there is There's nobody no, to like. Nobody's likable. <laughs> I didn't think about it that and the, way. And our audience surrogate is under emoting so much because Dustin Hoffman's phoning it in that there is like really no way to like emotionally put yourself into the situation. Yeah. Do you think the audience surrogate was really Queen Latifah? Yeah. <laughs> she dies before the other woman 
who is, I don't know if you noticed, like, the Queen, Muffin Lady? Queen Latifah is billed higher than Muffin Lady, and she, I, I feel like Queen Latifah has, like, even, besides all of her dialogue in the scene where she dies, but she's like, they got my faceplate! They're killing me! And all that stuff. She, like, barely doesn't say anything. And then the other woman at least has, like, a few more scenes on screen, but, I don't know, they're just, like, both really useless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and the... I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, the we're, we haven't really gotten to the reason why we all hate them and why, like, we don't really understand why we hate them is because the sphere is... Oh, yeah. Is, yeah. is kind of... Is bringing everyone to it and, and making them crazy, I guess, and everything. Well, we just, we just got to where the sphere... They just right. discovered the sphere. And here's a thing that I'll just get into because this... This doesn't make sense to me. All right, so they enter a room... And Barry Levinson's a fucking shitty director, so we have no understanding of the layout of this spaceship, of their living quarters, anything. But there's a room in this spaceship where there's a giant, I want to say like three foot tall, perfect golden sphere. Like it's 300 foot. 300 foot, yeah. okay. So it seems to be made it's like... huge. Yeah, I, I meant to say stories, but oh, the okay. point is... Yeah, <laughs> very confusing. Huge. But it's a gigantic sphere, way taller than all the people, and um, it's... It, it, has it a, looks like a Christmas ornament because it's like uh, metallic. It would have to be in like the uh, cargo bay of this ship. I can't think of like what... This room has nothing else in it yeah. except this giant sphere. It's and where it's, they must they must keep all their like uh, land rovers. And it looks... <laughs> looks like it's made of like like some sort it's like made out of liquid metal it almost yeah. looks like yeah. and so my question is because so much of the plot revolves around this why would anyone think they can walk inside of this why would anybody see a giant floating liquid object and be like i we have to walk inside of this again. well why would you even get close to it too like that's the other thing is i don't know if you guys picked up on this but they didn't take any equipment with them no. to look at the sphere. So, how do they know it's not radioactive or uh, it's going to, like, blast out at them? So or yeah. yeah, they just did a really bad job of addressing the science behind the plot of the movie. And it was so long, you think that they would have, like, thrown that bit in there. <laughs> Something, yeah. Well, and, and I usually don't mind in, like, an action movie if they get the science wrong a little bit, if it if, if the movie moves along, or, or if the science doesn't really matter to the logic of the story they're telling. But in this movie, because they so heavily hammer us with scientific facts and the fact that every character is a scientist or a doctor in some way, it seems like they should have really nailed that down. Yeah. Like, they even... At certain points in the movie, they go the length of boring us no, with scientific there's, facts. There's one part where where they get back from the sphere and everything. This is like right after they're they're trying to like analyze and figure out what to go forward with. And Sam Jackson's like, "Oh, the black hole. This all happened because of that." And everyone's like, "Yeah, black hole." And uh, Dustin Hoffman's like, "What's a black hole?" Like he yeah. obviously knows what a black hole is, but to explain to the audience yeah. what a black hole is in 1998, I guess well, I feel like now it's very common knowledge. Like black yeah. hole—that's very obvious. Yeah. Well, and they—they they went out. Yeah, that's like a perfect example. Yeah. But they it, another one is they go out of their way to explain how fast coral grows. <laughs> 
because that's supposed to matter to us. There's a scene where they're all the scientists are getting decompressed once they go, get to the underground uh, water station. Yeah, they have to I don't know helium, what the fuck to call it. But like all of, yeah, all that stuff. It's like but like yeah, Lee Schreiber matter. Yeah, Lee Schreiber's <laughs> explaining like well the helium and the oxygen and blah blah. Like blah. this movie wants us to believe that time travel is possible, but it's also like but you need to know how slowly coral grows to appreciate how long the spaceship has been here. Yeah, dude, this is this is a pick and choose your science movie. Like they should have focused on some other fields yeah. and not so much on the the boring I don't know. Well, I, mean, anyway, I don't think science is boring. I just think the way they laid it out is No, science isn't boring, but this is a movie. And it's like yeah. it's like also the way in which like you don't make like, the movie, I imagine the book version of this is also, like, super loaded with stuff like yeah. that. But you gotta, you gotta pick and choose, like you said. You gotta pick what's actually gonna be interesting to an audience, especially if they're gonna sit here for two and a half hours. Yeah. But anyway, so, immediately, basically, Sam Jackson's like, I gotta walk into that giant metal sphere. <laughs> like, I have to do it. <laughs> I'm a mathematician. I need Logically, to Logically, it makes sense yeah. I do this. And it, it would make more sense. That's the other thing, too, is it would make way more sense if Ted had been the one to walk into yeah. the sphere. Well, the reason it happens is because, you remember, Harry and Ted have their ego battle, and Dustin Hoffman has that scene where he's like, hey, Ted figured it out before you did, Harry. And Harry's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then Harry has that thing where he's like, hey, how come if if we know all this, this is and this happened in the future, and these people, when they went into the black hole, it was still listed as an unknown event. So they don't know what a black hole is. Uh, they don't know that that is a black hole, which means that we never told them, which means that we never leave here, which means that we die down here. So I think the idea is that he goes in because, A, Ted already beat him to the Discovery, so he wants to one-up Ted in some way. And if they're going to die down there anyway, he might as well satiate yeah. his curiosity. Well, so the next big plot contrivance is that the, the Navy's like, hey, we're going to come down and pull you guys out of the water station because there's this big storm coming. And they're like, okay, cool. But while the submarine's coming down to rescue them, that's when uh, Harry, a.k.a. Samuel Jackson, yeah. walks into the sphere. And that was... He a, gets sphered. And that was another part, too, where it was, like... Very confusing. Because basically, yeah, we already kind of mentioned that the sphere, when you go inside of it, it takes what is in your subconscious. We didn't mention this yet. Oh, I thought we kind of hinted at this. No, we haven't well, talked about it at all. All right, well... So the power of the sphere yeah. is that once you enter inside of it, it can, um, the, what, I, I, it oh. takes your subconscious and literal, it manifests yeah, it. Yeah, it manifests it in yeah. reality. Essentially. Like, that's what the movie says it does, but it's a lot more selective and specific than that. And that's where I bring it up just because was the whole, because I said he does the whole we die down here thing, and then he goes in the sphere, and while he's in the sphere is when the submarine just doesn't come down to them. And so did he manifest them being trapped down there? Ooh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think he went into there, then he was kind of, like, unconscious, so they're like, oh, we need to stay down here and figure it out. Yeah. Well, just because there's the whole thing where they're like, where Queen Latifah's like, I'm not getting the sub on sonar. It's not showing up. And, and she, the whole thing where it's like, uh -huh. it should be coming, but it's not coming. And I don't know. I mean, it, the movie does such a poor job of, like, right. establishing it could really go either way. Yeah. But, okay, so Sam gets back, and... Can you just talk like Queen Latifah the rest of the podcast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, you got a good queen voice. A 
I'll try. <laughs> I feel like every time I My watch queen... queen Latifah in a movie, it's Queen Latifah playing Queen Latifah as another person. Yes. <laughs> Why do you think I want to see Girls Trip so yeah, bad? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sam Jackson comes out of the sphere unconscious. But because but the sub is not coming, they're like... That's they're when like, hey, we're, we're Captain stuck. Bart says, break out your five-day deodorant pads. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I break out when I'm stuck somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like water and... or board games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I duct tape uh, deodorant uh, objects to my armpits for maximum. Just plunging. giant rags. <laughs> you just walk around with rags taped under your arms. Yeah. You're so the they're all trying to figure right? out what's going on, and eventually uh, Harry wakes up from this weird coma that he's still living and everything. But before even that happens, we should mention that. Uh, so Harry goes into the sphere, and the person who discovers him once he comes out of the sphere is, uh, Norman, Norman, and Norman went out to go, I guess, rescue, uh, Harry, but there's this weird image that we see of Dustin Hoffman's, like, double. It's the same exact image that Harry, like, Harry, like, basically when Harry first tries to get into the sphere, he, there's like a ghost this is what I'm going to relate to it. Remember in Hercules, the animated movie? Oh, uh, hell yeah. Okay. When when they're in the underworld and they're like all kind of ghosty figures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the what the reflection looks like. And the reflection like moves up into the sphere and then he like kind of goes away. But then when Norman goes, he just you just kind of see a little reflection and he like zooms in and zooms out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's weird. It looks like he's... Coming in while he's like going out. Like his consciousness out. is going inside, but his body is still out. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. That's a very good way of explaining it. That's but, <laughs> so then they take uh, Harry back to the ship. While he's asleep, Tiny, uh, okay. Teeny, Teeny, oh, Teeny, yeah. Teeny. Yeah. not Tiny. <laughs> How Which, racist, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think Teeny stands for? Like Christina? Or Tina? Tina. Yeah, Christina, Tina, Teeny, because she's like a, a Navy person. And so yeah, it's they had to give her a nickname. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Teeny, uh, who's also Queen Latifah, she has to go reset the mini-sub so that it doesn't go back up to the surface because it needs to be reset every 12 hours, which, boring, it's So It's so blatantly exposition, yeah. but it's also one of those things, if you actually think about it, is so counterintuitive. <laughs> like, yeah. they have... What, they have an emergency submarine that will take videotapes up. Not like uh, just any object well, and, that could float up to the And the, the other stupid thing is you have to go out of the water space station to and walk in the water to get to the mini sub. So the smartest thing would for, be for them to have a button inside of the water station that they push that resets the mini sub. But anyway, okay, that's just me talking out loud. Or like I said, just have like a box in like the, the room that they exit, they put the videotapes and they press a button and like a, a line pulls it up to a Navy ship or something. Yeah, like, something. <laughs> that's suddenly like one of those submarine. Ring, those ringing bells when yeah. you go uh, scuba diving. Yeah. Okay, so... More potholes. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> I feel like we're just going to find more and more yeah. as we go. So, oh, plot holes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> plot spheres. <laughs> I challenge you to make more circle puns. Uh, okay, so she's coming back from the mini sub. She reset it, and then she's like, "God, it's beautiful out here. You guys seeing all these jellyfish?" Yeah. Like she a, says that like million. seven times, though, like in different words. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's amazing out here. Like, come on! Wow, look at all these jellyfish. 
Uh, it reminded me of Seven Pounds, but yeah. that scene. But anyway, uh, she all of a sudden starts saying like, "Ow, these jellyfish are getting real close to me. They're starting to cling to my mask." And yeah, she, like I wrote that. down. She said, "They starting to stick to my faceplate." Is like exactly <laughs> what she says. And then it cuts to a shot of a jellyfish swimming directly into the camera. Poor Queen Latifah. <laughs> um, so she gets death by jellyfish. All right, let's really. I want to talk about this for a second, because how exactly did the jellyfish kill her? I feel like they, like... So so when, when they get her body back in, and they're, like, kind of, like, doing an autopsy, Beth and Norman are there, and she's taking them off, and I feel like they were, like, wrapped around her, too. Yeah, they're, like, like they they strangling her nose. nose. Yeah. yeah. They kind of just consumed her. I would, I, I would assume, if I'm going to give the movie some credit... The jellyfish somehow use their tentacles, which I don't think they have that much control over, but I don't know that much about also, jellyfish. Also, these were, like, not alien jellyfish, but they weren't, real? like, real at all. Yeah. Right, because they're manifested jellyfish. That we find out later, yeah. Uh, and so the jellyfish somehow probably got their tentacles around her suit Was and this, then, like, wait, ripped wait. a hole in her suit. So, so these jellyfish... Okay, we find out later that these are manifestations of Norman, who eventually... Yeah. So, and I think the story of why he doesn't like jellyfish is because he went into the, into a lake when his dad, his dad was like, don't go into that lake. And he was like, I'm going into that lake. And there were a bunch, and there of, were jellyfish. A bunch of jellyfish. And he got and stung like, like crazy. Yeah. So yeah. That's... So, so Norman had already told the audience a story, a boring story about him getting attacked Well, by he jellyfish. tells, he tells a story while they're like, this, again, another example of nobody gives a shit about anything <laughs> yeah. is, he tells the story while Beth is removing the jellyfish from Teeny's dead body. Yeah, He's like, oh, I have this... It's so funny this happened because when I was a kid, I was terrified of jellyfish. Isn't it so weird? Like, it's like that tone of, like, they don't give a shit that this woman, who admittedly they didn't really talk to that much, died. But, uh, yeah, like, it, it, so I guess if you, they're manifest and they are the alien, non-existent jellyfish, then sure, I guess they could have, like, pried her face mask open. Because they show her, like, drowning first, so they definitely crawled up inside of her mask yeah. somehow. Yeah, they suffocate her, for sure. Ugh. Oh my god. Okay, so, <laughs> the jellyfish attack, Teeny dies, they're doing an autopsy, maybe, or they're yeah, just, like, they're preparing like, her body. Yeah, throwing it in a body bag. Then, one. Sam Jackson wakes up, and he's peppy as shit. He's pretty hungry. Singing Bali High. Yeah. Uh, and, all of a sudden, uh, the computer starts talking to them. Well, I really quickly before you get too far, I do want to mention the scene where they're like eating, and uh, or where Sam Jackson is eating eggs, and he's like, "Norman made such a great plate of eggs," which again is like Norman went from like watching an autopsy to like cooking eggs for this guy. I like at the time it was very bizarre, but he's like talking to them now. Oh my god, eggs, I forgot about. And this. while he's eating eggs. Sharon Stone has a piece of paper and she's drawn a series of like circles and ovals and wrote like egg sphere egg sphere sphere and then she just writes the phrase egg sphere sphere on the paper I never figured out what that tied into at all she was just like he went into the sphere he likes eggs is this weird? I, I really hope that was some like prop master's idea of a joke and then it somehow made it into a movie. Oh my god. I can imagine Jeff doing a joke like that. Yeah. But then also after he's he's eating eggs 
and um, it comes up that there's like squid meat in the eggs. Or something. No, 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 no. He like Norman, like he's like, you want some more, like some different food? And he's like, yeah, oh, I'd love some. And he's like, here, have some cav. Like, and he was like, why does the ship randomly have caviar? Like, or no, it was. It <laughs> no, it was onion rings. He thought it was onion rings, and it was. Calamari. calamari. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. yeah. And so he's eating, like, he, 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 someone mentions that he's eating squid, and Sam Jackson is like, uh, 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 and, and Ted starts giving CPR, and, 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 and uh, Sam Jackson stops going, uh, for a moment to be like, I'm not choking you, idiot! I'm just really scared! <laughs> I, I have to say, the first time I watched this movie, when that happened, I thought that the sphere had turned Samuel Jackson into, like, a squid man. And so, the reason he was so upset is because like, he was, he like, himself. eating himself. Because yeah. the way he plays that scene, it makes no sense that he got so upset. Yeah, like, I mean, just think of, like, especially considering also how nobody reacts to anything and he's reacting like this is a stupid example but just like say you're afraid of clowns and someone was like oh that meat you just ate was a dead clown you would be like get this clown out of here you'd be like you'd be like oh the clown is dead it's probably not gonna poison me with clown juices i think a better example would be a snake (laughs) a snake would be much more logical one i know but the point remains <laughs> I love that you were like, okay, what's something people are afraid of? Clouds. Oh yeah, I'm gonna make an example. But let's eat them. Not like <laughs> I'm just being saying, scared of clouds at a party. <laughs> I guess for me, like I'm afraid of I'm afraid of like deep water. And so if if you gave me something to drink and you're like, do you like that water? I would be like, <laughs> get this out of me. It's just, already there. It's like, really stupid. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, your your reaction to something you fear, you eat it, is, I'm going to have a panic attack? Uh, that's not how that works. Yeah, maybe if you're afraid of, like, you have allergies Maybe if you're, like, six years old. That's, yeah. like, the only logical. <laughs> yeah, or allergies, like, oh, yeah. I'm allergic to peanuts, you know? Yeah, this yeah. guy got his, like, Sam Jackson's character got his first PhD at 18, and he's, like, afraid of, like, yeah. food. Um, yeah, okay, but anyway. Then... Then that's when the computer turns on and is like, "Hey, I'm Jerry." <laughs> well, well, they like Not start exactly like, like that. Like numbers start going up on the screen, and then and then Sam Jackson is just like, "Oh, it's a code." Like I think he knew it was a code because he went in the spirit. Oh, he's a mathematician. Oh, that's true. That but the... I feel like he had like some inner like, "Yeah, guys, it's it's a code." Again, this already. this feeds into my theory that he turned into a squid man, but. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, he's just got... Are squid men really good with numbers? Like, what? (laughs) They just know what's going on, I guess. All right. They're smart. (laughs) Smart animals. So then... No, but he's got sphere minds. So then, is it Harry that that, uh, figures out? And then Ted is, like, angry about that? Yeah, I think he does, yeah. But he figures out... they should have just whipped their dicks out and compared. (laughs) Because I was so tired of their man fight. But they figured out that, yeah, like, it it was more or less, like, binary code. The numbers that are appearing on the computers out of nowhere... Are actually can be can be substituted with letters, and that's how they they translate. And the letters are inverted, keyboard. right? The letters are inverted because in a sphere you they would see like, them in a circle. Of all or... things they explain, they didn't explain that at all. <laughs> I know, like I'm trying to visualize, like okay, audience, like they're basically they basically say like, okay, the co- here's how you translate the code: you have a sphere, and then you take a keyboard and put it on a sphere. I guess so that it cover it covers the entirety of the sphere, and then you pick a central point, 
and decode like going one, two, three, four around outward. Which again, I like visualize that. Like I, can, I really cannot visualize it enough. Not to mention how you arbitrarily pick where you start on the the thing. But anyway, they somehow very, very quickly, like immediately, solve this code, turn it into the thing. The computer's like, "Hi, I'm Jerry. I'm happy." And uh, <laughs> how does the conversation go from here? I wrote. I wrote down when they, they're like, where did you come from? And he, Jerry says, I make well, a journey. Before, <laughs> well, the, uh, the what's his, the captain? That Barnes. Was Barnes. Yeah. Barnes is like, I want a last name for my report. Like, yeah. that's the first thing <laughs> you're ever going to ask an alien? Like, what's your, no. What's your last name? What's your social security yeah, kind of number? Like, I need well, I like report. his explanation that he's like, I'm not going to write out a report that I talked, I talked to a sphere in the computer named Jerry. Yeah, but it's like, it's like, it's a funny line, but it's also, that is what you have to do. That's literally what's happening. He's yeah. like, I need orders. Like, but yeah, so Jer Jerry says, I make a journey. You make a journey. We make a journey together. Jerry's a little fucker. He's not answering their questions. He's being very vague. He's uh, going in circles. Yeah. Round and round. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, Jerry is basically, like, a little kid. Like, when they talk to him, he's, like, a little kid. Also, as, to remind you, Queen Latifah just died. No one gives a shit. Nobody <laughs> gives a no shit. She's in a body bag. She's definitely yeah. way out of the picture. They even, like, coldly throughout the movie do the the security footage of the room where all the body bags are just to show you how many body bags Like, if you for, haven't forgotten three people have died so yeah. far. And there's even seen it's like six yeah. people have died. So there's, they, they have this conversation and Jerry's like, I am happy now and everything. And it doesn't really, they don't really learn anything. Well, and Norman says, I would be happier if Jerry didn't feel anything. Yeah, exactly. Because he said, uh, he's, Jerry's been trapped in here for 300 years or so they believe. Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they, so he's, he's been here 300 years. What happens when Jerry gets mad? And then we... And then the next scene is Jerry Gets Mad. Which, the next scene, titled The Monster, which we haven't mentioned this, but... This, it was titled The Monster? This, yeah, yeah, this section is... The next section is The Monster. But this movie, and this is inexplicable to me, is has titles before each section that's like... the titles playing are, like a book. But the titles are things like The Surface. And to indicate that... The characters on the surface. The deep, to indicate the characters are now going up through water. The spacecraft, to indicate the characters are now entering the spacecraft. The analysis, to indicate the characters are now going to analyze the, the last, spacecraft. The last like, two, they gave up on the V strategy. <laughs> yeah. There's like battle stations. Not the battle stations, not the further analysis. Yeah, and it's all stuff that like a good filmmaker could... Show? Indicate yeah. <laughs> like with like yeah. or even just put the title over the footage, mm -hmm. not over black screen. It's already over yeah, two they, hours they long. They black out the screen to, to do the titles to give you a redundant title. Do you think they did that because they knew this movie would be cut for TV at some point? <laughs> I don't know. It seems just to me, based on our previous experience with Barry Levinson, I'm going to assume it's bad filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're at the monster. So they, the the other Navy woman, uh, she is just gone. And people are like, hey, where is she? And they hear, like, clanging on the outside of the the living station, and there's, like, a big shadow that appears over... I, again, there are roof windows in this underwater space station, so just specifically for this moment where the squid goes over and casts a shadow over everything, but as a team, I think, is it just Norman and Beth? Yeah, go they outside? go out there. They go outside, and the other Navy woman... 
doesn't even get the dignity of dying on screen. She's so no. unimportant that they just find her body and... Okay, it was this... She was attacked by the squid, right? I don't know. It was not made It was clear. like It was almost like she had been out there for, like, days, and yeah. her body had already, like, started to, like... Jellify? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she her shoe just randomly came off. Yeah, when and, her like, shoe comes off, there's, like, cuts to her shoe, yeah. but it's not like she got killed and then her Maybe shoe got put snakes. on. Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't matter. It really do- yeah. doesn't matter. They they don't know why she went out after they bring her back in. It's basically revealed that they don't know. They still don't know. No one cares. Just, she, an, just another minority that died. Yeah. And actually, oh, was there a reason that they even went outside? Was it just because the squid? Because as they're carrying her. Yeah, that's it. The only, the did only, they see her on the camera maybe or something? No. The, the, what happens, they hear the noise, they go out to solve it. But the only reason for that scene existing is because when they're bringing her body back, that's when the squid eggs start falling. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there's a giant squid. There's a squid. And then it's, it's on yeah. the radar too. And the yeah. is like, look out. It's 40 yards away. <laughs> 60 feet. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah. I forgot about the scene where it's raining eggs. Yeah. Which I will say in this whole movie, that's probably the one moment I feel looks cool because there's no there's not as much CG in this movie as as there would be if they made this now and so the eggs are clearly some sort of actual object like a production designer had to design these eggs and so you see like the light hit them and kind of shine through them it's a very real object it's the most tactile moment of the entire movie where you're like well wow, this would be really crazy to be underwater and have a bunch of eggs fall on you yeah and because it's not CG you're actually seeing it happen it's like, I don't know, to me it's the most effective moment in the entire movie. Yeah. It's just that brief moment of like, ah, eggs! Do you think Sam Jackson put those eggs there because he was really into eggs? <laughs> he was eating eggs. He's, he had he's a dream like, about, oh, oh eggs. I wish I was eating those eggs right now. And then like a rain of <laughs> no, eggs. No, but, but he hates uh, squid so much. So if he ate, imagine if he ate a squid egg. He would lose his but mind. He, he liked, well, yeah, but here's the thing, though, is that, remember, Dustin Hoffman... Uh, as we mentioned, Dustin Hoffman does ha- did go into the sphere, and so he manifested the jellyfish. And but he didn't manifest real jellyfish. He he manifested like fake j- jellyfish based on his like under his like limited understanding of it. So maybe Sam Jackson, with his limited understanding of eggs, had like a dream about eggs and squid just blended together. And like, no, no, no. He was thinking about breakfast, but like, also... I'm so, I'm, I want to finish my breakfast, but there's a squid trying to take my eggs away, and they're like, you know how you've had those dreams, they're just like a weird combination of things. That's what yeah. this whole movie was. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. weird dream. So... Once they're all inside, the squid is attacking and, like, causing damage to the water station? Well, first, what happens... This is, honestly, I will be... I will tell you, this is where I was, like, zoning out. Well, I don't want to I don't want to jump ahead, but I will say we're getting very close to a moment where I there's a reason you zone out during yeah. this section. But we, uh, we get... To, they get back in, and I think right around here is where Jerry starts talking to them on the computer, and he's, like... He said, they're like, Jerry, we just want to have a private conversation. And he starts freaking out. And like, basically the conversation with the computer goes very downhill. And Jerry starts saying like, I will kill you all. And then the squid (laughs) comes back and everything. Don't call me Jerry. Everything starts getting attacked. uh, And uh, the, the water pressure starts falling apart in the ship. Uh, This basically just chaos happens and everyone's scrambling, trying to take care of everything. And... Uh, the, I, the, the key things is that first 
Captain Barnes is somewhere. He's trying to do something, and the doors start auto-sealing. Mm -hmm. And so Captain Barnes grabs a, uh, like, these are watertight metal doors, and Barnes grabs some sort of, like, plastic container and jams it to keep the door from sealing. And he's, like, taking his sweet time trying to squeeze through this door to get from one place to another. The plastic box flies out, and he is... Halved. They don't show it, but it's, like, hilariously implied. Yeah. He is cut in half perfectly by the door. And then... There's fires and stuff uh, happening, and... They're all trying to put them out. They're the, all finding, like, random uh, extinguishers and everything. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman, somehow, he gets his head hit, and he falls down, and he says he's, like, panicked, but it looks... The way the movie shoots it, it looks like he is unconscious. Yeah. Ted comes into the room... Ted basically is, like, trying to save him, trying to put out the fire. Something falls on Ted from the ceiling and pins him. And then <laughs> there's, like, he's, like, pinned to, like, a metal grate. And he looks down and sees flame approaching a tank that says flammable gas. And then explodes. And he's, like, oh, no! And he, like, gets grilled alive. <laughs> but it was only his face. Like, you saw his, like, arm right there. Yeah. And his arm just was, like, yeah. flapping. There's, like, a shot of, like, a blast of flame just surrounding his face. And just, like, so... So horrible, but yeah, he dies. And um, definitely Norman should have gotten some flame too. He really yeah, should have. Yeah. I don't know how Norman survived. It was just, out of there. it was like very control. It was like a flamethrower, not an explosion of flame. Well, and during this whole scene, the ship is like, you know, the buzzers are going off, the lights are going, woo woo, you know, th everything's sounding the alarm, and uh, Sam Jackson's character is dead asleep. Yeah, he is. Uh, Having a beautiful dream. Ted tries to wake him up at one point. He can't wake him up. Yeah. And, but, like, yeah. So we said Ted is dead. Uh, Barnes is dead. They show us a security cam shot of all four bodies and body <laughs> bags. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Four. So, no. That's it. So we're, all that's left is Sam Jackson, Sharon Stone, and Dustin Hoffman. They're the last three people. They're all trapped. Uh, until someone comes to rescue them. And Carrie, you said you start to zone out at this point, and here's why. Is because this movie is basically structured like a slasher movie up to this point. And uh, I was thinking too, like with Michael Crichton movies, it's kind of like Westworld or Jurassic Park, where you have the thing of, okay, these people come to this exciting new place, and they're like, wow, it's it's such, look at all these things we're seeing that we've never got to see or experience before, and then the thing turns on them and they start killing them at this point is when all deaths stop for the rest of the movie and we have like yeah, 45 nobody else dies we have 45 I, I literally left. wrote is yeah. beth next because like it was like going towards like yeah. Some, yeah. someone's gonna kill her she kills herself something like that or like yeah. a and then there were none feel where you're like who's gonna be the lone survivor mm -hmm. right and so it really seems like it's going to do that but since you've seen this movie before you know that no, no one else is going to die. And so you're like, okay, so what am I watching the movie for? And what the remainder of the movie is trying to basically say is, these people went in the sphere, and so crazy stuff is happening, and they got to get out. And that's it. And yeah. it's not... Also, isn't it weird that the only... Uh, spoiler alert. The only people who survive are the people who went in the sphere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. What, what kind of fucked up logic is that? It is the other way around. Yeah, yeah but, right. Yeah, like other people, and like it's Dustin Hoffman's the one who doesn't. So you almost get punished for not going in the sphere, even though there's no reason. A, also, we a never smart even saw person. her go to the sphere. Or why she went? Like, there's no like real like 
she just felt like going to the sphere. Yeah, it's, it's like she did it to spite Norman, yeah. I guess. But again, it seems like in a movie, her doing something like that would lead to her being killed or something. Because yeah. like she, she acted crazily. Mm-hmm. Like Whereas at least Harry isn't acting crazy. It's just like when he sleeps the part of him that's asleep causes that to happen. Beth is actively acting wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. causing things to go worse. That's another thing I don't... I didn't understand about the movie's logic is part of the time the people who've gone into the sphere who manifest things into reality, they have to be asleep. But then part of the time the people who manifest things are awake. Yeah. yeah. So is it only Harry who manifests things when he's asleep? Well, and that's, it's good you mentioned that, to bring this up, we are right at the point of the movie where Norman comes to Harry, and Harry is just in the kitchen, and he's, he slept through everybody dying, Norman's like, like, oh, I'm, see, you're having a great day, I guess you don't care that everyone's dead, he's being like, <laughs> shitty about it, understandably, and Harry is reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and he's like, hey, someone left this book in the bathroom as a joke. But, uh, yeah, I, like, I, I, I can't but read it, but I, I can never read past page 87. It's, it's too scary. And... Which I looked it up, and 20,000 Leagues on the Sea is over 400 pages long. <laughs> so he's not even reading a fourth of the book. But also, he, okay, so to kind of... <laughs> Why get, would you read... To get into a bunch of things that we've been talking about is, um, so Harry, while he's sleeping, manifests the squid, but when he wakes up, he manifested the book. The book was not there until he woke up. He because so apparently, I don't know because he. I what that's what I wonder. What triggered him to think about the squid? What, did he eat the food and then think about the squid? And <laughs> there was yeah. a, wasn't the squid was already wasn't he? <laughs> didn't the squid come? Yeah, yeah, they came before he even got. That's I'm thinking because did he eat the calamari and that led him to he had like a yes, food dream. That's, that's so, it. You're so right. He ate, the, he ate the eggs and the squid and then a dream about what he ate and his yeah. dream about what he ate killed everybody. Is that like and, more or less what happened? And the squid reminded him of a book he likes. Yeah, but, no, a, but book a book he, he hasn't d- finished. But a, not a book he likes because a book that he read a long time ago, read a quarter of, and was too. He decided it was too scary, and so he put it down. And so the first eighty-seven he pages must be really scary. No, let's switch. just put it. Let's put it this way: Have you ever started a book and you never finished it, but you went back and read those first pages enough to have them memorized? Has, has that ever happened? No. No. You read a book and when you stop, you're like, "I'm done with this book." But he, so he either has the book so well memorized because he's a genius or whatever that the version he manifested is the actual book or what i like to think is that like the jellyfish he like manifested some like bizarro version of what he remembers of twenty thousand leagues under the sea oh, that probably has like eggs and breakfast and everything <laughs> in there he's like i can never get past the scene of the squid eats breakfast too scary <laughs> Like, I, like, but, yeah, it's just, it's like, what are the rules? Like, the rules of the ways things get manifested in this movie are so vague and only serving to the plot. And that's the disappointing thing for me is the idea of meeting an alien who helps you manifest, like, your wildest imagination. That's terrifying. That would be so scary. This movie does not take advantage of it. Doesn't make it scary. Doesn't even make it clear that that's what's happening. It could have... This movie, as stupid as it it would be to say, 
it seems like this movie would be better if it was just like they found a sphere that granted three wishes. <laughs> each of the wishes they wished that went wrong. And so they were like, the last wish is to get rid of all of the wishes so that we can't be cursed. Like it's it might That as, is the last wish. It basically is, but it might as well have just been like that, because that as stupid as that is, would have been less stupid than the convoluted nightmare of half-ass explanation. Oh my god, I just realized that the sphere is a genie's lamp, and they rubbed the genie, the sphere, by going inside of it, and so the only way to get rid of it at the end is to wish it away. It's like a genie's lamp where the lamp implicitly knows what you're gonna wish from it. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Or the things that you don't want to wish for. And it's even gold, like the Aladdin lamp, too. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> you ain't never had a friend like Sphere. <laughs> Whatever the thing said. <laughs> the genie? <laughs> the genie lamp. I'm referencing the toy genie lamp that had as a child, so that might not be a quote from the movie. <laughs> okay, where right. even are we in the Okay, so it's just the last three left. And you said almost I'm, done, but I'm I so exhausted. I stopped taking notes, but yeah, there's like same. another Look, 40 I did too, actually. <laughs> we all gave up after yeah, this. Yeah, the last four only have one, like, the two, I don't even, yeah. Yeah, because, well, in the last part, everything that happens doesn't matter, because it's just wasting time until they figure yeah, out that they all went in the sphere. There's a scene where Sharon Stone uh, finds out that Norman went in the sphere, and she has to confront him about it, and so she ends up trying to drown him by either giving him the ultimatum of... Putting what is it called the hyper hydro hyperdermic needle like he's supposed yeah, to like inject this like anesthesia to give him a dreamless sleep so uh, then he'll stop manifesting things but so she either gives him the ultimatum of doing that or drowning and he instead opens the hatch of the the space station or the space station the water station the water station and swims somewhere <laughs> swims back, back to the hat other back, hatch yeah. Yeah. Which, who knows Which, how far apart that is, because they never established it. Who cares? And he would, like, probably, he wouldn't be able to swim down. Yeah. Like, it would definitely just go up. Yeah, there's gotta be a current. Well, also, and to re restate this, listener, they're a thousand feet underwater. So, like, they say in the movie that the temperature where they're at is 34 degrees. And this man, in just, like, street clothes... <laughs> swimming with like I mean, not even like a br like a real breathing tank it's like an asthma inhaler equivalent of an oxygen tank uh, <laughs> swimming outside but well, early very very early in the movie that when they're they're telling them that they're about to go underwater there's a guy who said it's going to be very cold down there but you'll be pressurized enough if you wanted to you could take a swim I wouldn't recommend it because it'd be pretty cold where it's like they retcon the shit out of, I mean it's not retcon because they do it ahead of time but they like justify the shit out of this totally but, inexplicable unreal realistic scene. But even stupider <laughs> is Sharon Stone puts him in this thing and she starts fill this room and she starts filling it with water and she's like, I don't want to do this, Norman. If you just inject yourself with the needle, this will all be but over. But then you'll just drown. But yeah, <laughs> but she's going to drown him. So what does she expect But even if you like do? done it halfway through, yeah, it's like, you okay, just, like, just well, pass <laughs> down the water. Right? Yeah, so let's say, yeah, she, he does that. What, is she going to hit the button that she hit to slowly flood the room? Yeah. Like, unflood room now, please. Like, what, what did she do to flood the room in the first place? Well, and even <laughs> as the room is like, it's like 90% full and yeah. Norman's trying to open the hatch and she's like, don't open the hatch, Norman. Don't open but it's like, what choice did you give him? What yeah. the fuck is wrong with 
cute. Uh, but again, again, this is why the scene doesn't. But again, this scene doesn't matter. No, like, the scene is irrelevant all... because he survives. Sharon Stone's not punished for doing shit like this. Eventually, they're they they all get in a room together and like, okay, so we were all in the sphere. The sphere manifests what we think. So let's leave. Yeah, <laughs> because the the storm had gotten over at that point. Yeah, so right. Just so they decide to leave. They go to the mini sub, and as soon as they get into the mini sub, one of them has. Well, no, bef- they have they they go to the mini sub right then because there's like they discover that Sharon's the one of her. Oh, her, Jesus! Her I forgot about this. Is that she went in the sphere before she went in the sphere? She set like an explosive oh. perimeter around the spaceship <laughs> for some reason, and then she went in the sphere, and so her brain was like. Oh, so I want to set all the bombs so the sphere trigger sets off the timers for the bombs so they have like 13 minutes to get away. So they get into the mini sub to leave and they have like seven minutes left to get to the before to, the bombs before go the off. bombs go off. And all of a sudden they just manifest themselves inside of the spaceship. And so there's the scene where it's out like, of the mini sub. So the, the, but they're the, still in it too. Yeah, ideally the, the way the yeah, scene should what? play is that you think they've teleported into the ship and they are panicking and they have that realization where like, no, we manifest ourselves here. We can manifest, manifest ourselves back. The movie inexplicably keeps cutting back and forth between them panicking on the ship and them sitting there in the sub thinking they're there. So you know, you're watching people panic and you're like, all they have to do is just get out of their heads. There's like, like a push a button. Yeah, they have to get out of their heads enough to realize, that, oh, they we're still in a safe spot and push a button. And so the movie is like fucks up its own climax by filming it in a way that like undoes like the the subjective reality that the characters are going through. It doesn't try to put us in their point of view. It's like, look at these idiots. They're getting tricked one last time for a good old sphere. It's so fucking stupid. But eventually, (laughs) arbitrarily, Dustin Hoffman is like, well, we have to leave. And then pushes the button and they get away. And then they resurface two seconds later on the top of the ocean. Uh, they, yeah. And the, the whole, the spaceship explodes. The, uh, the coral explodes. The living environment explodes. All the bodies explode. But supposedly the sphere's still down sphere's there. sphere's still down there. And they get, they're in a decompression. They, they get back to the surface. And I saw in the deleted scenes, or not deleted scenes, the IMDb trivia that... They had to do a reshot ending. So the ending is terrible enough as it is, but I can only imagine. Oh it's God. a two-hour movie, and they're like, it's like the equivalent of when I was in high school and I was writing like a three-page paper or something like that, and you write like the intro, the three paragraphs, and the conclusion, and my conclusion was like three sentences. Yeah. yeah. Like, Where you're like, I'm like, done I'm with done. this. Yeah, this, like, this movie's conclusion is like if you... You turn that paper in, and then the dumbest kid in your class wrote a different conclusion <laughs> for you. It's like, I think I get it. I think I get what people want. <laughs> like, so they resurface, they're put in a decompression chamber, and then they, like, have a meeting in some sort of, like, room on a boat where they're like, what are we going to tell everybody? We just blew up a hundred million dollars <laughs> in naval stuff and a spaceship that's been there for three years. And a bunch years. of people died. A bunch of people died. A bunch of people died. What are we going to tell everybody? And they're basically are like, well, wait, we still have the power of the sphere. Uh, what if we manifest forgetting about the sphere? And they kind of talk. They just talk about it for a while so that they're like, all right, dumb person in the audience, you get all of what we're talking about. There's, they just talk about it only oh so gosh. that like people they lay can it catch out. up. And then they all hold hands in like a triangle shape and 
count to three, and then they're like... And they cut away to the sphere. The sphere rising from the ocean, shooting up in the air, and all the people on the boat's like looking at it and being like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and then it, and it shoots the into sky. space and disappears forever. And they then they like cuts back to the three of them in the ship, and they're like, why are you, why are you holding my hand? And he's like, you're holding my hand, and they have forgotten. They forgot all of it, and... You know what they should have done? What? Okay, and this is just me spitballing, but if they were going to manifest the idea that the sphere disappears, they should have manifested that that spaceship 300 years ago, for, uh, from now, or however many yeah. years from now, never finds the sphere or goes into that black hole. Or just that they never went down there in the first place and Ted and everyone are still there. Like, yeah. Yeah, they should have manifested like three days earlier. Alright, now here's here's a question because we have reached the end of the movie, listener. Uh, there's literally nothing else yeah, after really just check. cuts. Yeah, the so, sphere the sphere is. What are they like gonna the, tell them? We forget. we don't know. We yeah. forgot. What? You that's They basically eternal sunshine to themselves. Yeah. So but here's my question. Um so now that we've known we know all that, how did the original crew collect the sphere like this is a thing that's like it's very much a deus ex machina where it's just like it exists to keep things going but like at some point in the future a, a spaceship goes somewhere and finds this giant liquid ball that is apparently like it's not solid enough where you like you can apparently grab it because you can walk inside it you just like walk through the surface of it it doesn't touch the ground it floats in the air somehow the spaceship got it on board and then was flying around with it. I know that's like a too, no, uh, my, too hard about it. But. My assumption of what happened, and Josh, jump in. Uh, <laughs> my assumption is that the spaceship in whatever year it is in the future, they f- fly into that black hole, and by going through that black hole, they collect the sphere. It oh. somehow gets in their spaceship from the black hole, and then... They're underground, you know, or underwater or whatever, and they all end up killing each other because of the sphere. Okay, see, I kind of imagine it being like Event Horizon, where they get, they they were out in space, they got the sphere, people went in the sphere, they all died or killed each other, and the spaceship floated through space until it hit the black hole, and then the black hole just deposited it right where it sits uh, on the ocean floor, and then it sat there for 300 years until someone stumbled well, on it. Well, and the movie does nothing to prove yeah, either of us right exactly, or Exactly, that's what I was going to say. It doesn't matter anything. Whatever we say is, is better than what it was. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, the backstory on that ship is, like, totally unnecessary. Yeah. They do a better job of that on, in the Alien movies. Yeah, they really do. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just have to wait for <laughs> Spear Me. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Couldn't even say it. Spear Me. Jeez. Yeah, well, okay. I, I went through all my notes. There's literally... There's very, this movie is so... It's We've talked about this before. This is an exposition movie. It's like Serpent in the Rainbow, where the whole movie is just people acting out exposition or describing exposition but this movie just has a bunch of exposition that's useless or a bunch of exposition that's stupid on top of it that's the only reason we've had this much to talk about do you guys have any other things you want to talk about from this movie no my my things are all teachable moments um other than the fact that i think this movie really only got made because of the success of Jurassic Park. Yeah. Well, and... Because Jurassic Park is the Michael Crichton movie that came out before this one. Like, Michael Crichton has written a ton of books and a ton of movies, 
and they've all, you know, been made, but the movie that came out before Sphere was Jurassic Park. Yeah. And so I assume that Barry Levinson got, like, a huge budget for this movie. Well, Barry Levinson It looks like they built a ton of... $100 million. Yeah. Yeah, they... It, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that's, like, a dig at the movie. But yeah, it Barry, looks like they built all those sets. Barry Levinson also directed a Michael Crichton novel before this, too. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, Disclosure, yeah. the... The sexual, the movie where a woman sexually harasses a man, the woman being Demi Moore and the man being Michael Douglas, which also features a VR reality, a VR scene where Michael Douglas has to track down a file in virtual reality. <laughs> Is Michael Douglas's typecast that he gets harassed by women? I mean, because the game, yeah, uh, Basic Instinct. What's the uh, uh, Fatal Attraction? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay, but but well, I, I, I'm saying Barry Levinson directed this. We already listen to the Man of the Year episode, listener. If you want to hear specifics about how shitty he is and stuff, at least this isn't a comedy. This is just a failed drama. <laughs> but uh, the writers, Barry Levinson's directing that new Joe Paterno movie, which is made for TV stuff. Seems to be fine. I'm not gonna. Sure. I haven't watched enough of it to really criticize. One he or just the other. did the Bernie Madoff. He he. Barry Levinson's one of the people who helped get Homicide Life on the Streets made, and mm. that's David Simon. Okay. And so, like, that TV stuff is good. And I, well, I wanted to mention the writers quickly, because we mentioned Homicide Life on the Street just then. One of the three credited writers on this is Paul Attanasio. Like, might pronounce that wrong. He was a writer on Homicide Life on the Streets. He also was nominated for an Oscar for writing Quiz Show and Donnie Brasco. And he's more or less like, his career's done. He Those are like his big things. He wrote a few crappy movies. I think he worked on The Sum of All Fears, if you remember that oh, movie. Geez. Stuff like that. Uh, another One of the other writers, Kurt Wimmer, it looks like this is kind of his movie that he worked on a few screenplays before this. And this was like his Hollywood breakthrough screenplay because soon after this, he got to make equilibrium which i believe he wrote and directed and he's been making a lot of shitty shitty movies since then but he has he's getting a lot of work i think he wrote and directed salt also oh, he might not okay. have directed it but he yeah. he's working the third writer was a man named i think steven hauser and he doesn't even have a picture on imdb and i looked him up and this is his only writing credit and it might have something to do with the fact that all of his other credits are as Barry Levinson's personal assistant. Oh. <laughs> and so Barry Levinson threw this guy a bone. Uh, the only other thing he had that wasn't a personal assistant credit or a writing credit was acting in Disclosure, the Barry uh. Levinson Michael Crichton movie. <laughs> so he was like, hey, you're familiar with the Barry Levinson Michael Crichton synergy that we're going for. Why don't you take a crack at the screenplay? Jeez. And this guy's like, you know what I love? Exposition. I don't know if it's his fault, but it's, it's one of the three screenwriters. I mean, Kurt Wimmer's a really shitty screenwriter. I'll just say they all made it bad together. That's the, the least The group effort yeah. of badness. They were a circle of badness. With the implied ghost of Michael Crichton making worse. He was still alive at this point, but he was there in spirit. R.I.P. that guy. Yeah, R.I.P. that guy. He who, didn't even get to live to see <laughs> to his... To see uh, break in money. Yeah, oh my god. He, his estate is probably getting a shit ton of money yeah. now. Anyway... You want to move into teachable moments? I do, because right. I feel like I'm going to forget mine if I don't say it. All right, you first. <laughs> but I want to go back to what I said earlier about uh, movies that focus on the science, like action movies that focus on the science. I think you can have a good action movie that is based 
in scientific principles that still defies science. Yeah. Like, the one that, that and it's still enjoyable for the audience. Like, the one I, I thought of was um, The Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> that movie is ridiculous. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of scientific sense. I mean, I guess now it probably makes, I haven't seen it in a while, but probably makes more sense now with climate change. But, uh... At the time it came out, I remember the scenes where, like, everybody turns into ice or uh, <laughs> or there's, like, a, all of a sudden a tsunami. Yeah. Um, or the scene where, like, the wolves get broken out of the zoo. I don't know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so much. <laughs> anyway, that movie relies on science, but not in a way where the plot has a lot to do with science. The, the action in that movie is based on the characters and what they go through to deal with the scientific setting. Whereas this movie, it has a scientific setting, but it requires all of its characters to care about the science and constantly explain to the audience the science. Uh, which the science doesn't really matter because it's sphere. Yeah. The sphere is not scientific. <laughs> Yeah. Like, if they had just focused on how crazy the sphere was, this probably would have been a better movie. Yeah. In a lot of ways, in, in a vague sort of way, because I barely remember the movie I'm about to bring up now, but it seemed like Sphere is the shittiest possible version of something like Interstellar, where Interstellar mm -hmm. also deals with, like, the time travel mm -hmm. things, like, from the future going back, and sure. like, certain elements, obviously not the underwater part, but... Interstellar does such a better job of balancing, like, all of the highbrow stuff you need to know with, like, scenes that actually have impact on you. Yeah. And I guess uh, that'll be, I'll segue into my teachable moment, which is just that... We're gonna make Josh go last? If you want. That's you, fine. You know, I, have, I have one. Okay, it's, cool. it's, it's It's okay. All right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my teachable moment is just that something like this... It probably would be way more fun to watch if there had been any attempt to have an audience surrogate. And uh, I don't think we we usually don't even do movies bad enough where they forget to have an audience surrogate, but it's this is a really great example of like how much a movie doesn't work when you can't relate to anybody and the the drama isn't palpable. And if they had just tried to like commit to like, okay, Dustin Hoffman's the main character, we see everything through his eyes. You can give like, me like a shitty like back like a flashback of something. when he was like Hanging out with Beth or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> or like, a smart-ass character. Yeah. Like, leave Shriver's character. I'm sorry, I'm not commandeering yeah. your teachable moment, but, like, uh... He's clearly supposed to be the Jeff Goldblum character. Or the Bill Pullman. Yeah, like the... Well, I, or not Pullman, Paxton. Bill Paxton. Ugh, but yeah, he's, do that. he's like the high-energy, goofy character, and... He's not high-energy or goofy. Yeah, it's, they really underdo it. and But, like... Even Jerry thought he was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Where is the entity they've dead? Uh, but yeah, just like if if they had made if, if if they had tried to convey any like tried to convey like the scene where Dustin Hoffman's in the room filling up with water and tried to film it in a way that made us relate to the idea of like slowly being drowned or like how cold the water is or how just even shots that like made us feel the immensity of the spacecraft the first time we see it. But like they so thoroughly are want the audience to know the science, but don't want the audience to know what it feels like to yeah. witness mm -hmm. any of this. And because of that, you're just detached from it. You don't really care about the plot. You don't really care about what they want you to learn. And we, as much as we had fun making fun of it, it's not actually a movie I would want to watch 
to make fun of. Right. I only made us watch this <laughs> to do it for the podcast. It's not bad enough where it becomes good no. and enjoyable to watch. It's just bad. Yeah. It's not even as good as something like London Has Fallen. <laughs> yeah. Sub that. I even was, when I was bringing up my teachable moment about Day After Tomorrow, there's a new movie coming out called Geostorm yeah. that looks like Day After Tomorrow meets Armageddon. <laughs> and that movie even looks more enjoyable, enjoyable even though the science in that is going to make no sense. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's a good one, Paolo. All right. Uh, so mine, um, I think it would have been way better to focus on the narcissism of Norman and everything. Like, mm. like it, they bring it up so gently about the whole, um, why, why Norm, like why this whole plot is even relevant is because he was paid $35,000 yeah. by some oh. government officials <laughs> to write the do's and don'ts about aliens, hypothetically. Yeah. So like, if we could have like seen like... Is writing or like why? Or what was things. in the report? There's so like there, that was so much something that I would have been more interested yeah, in. Yeah, actually, and developing that too would have made the conflict between him and Beth more interesting. Yeah, because there's so much hostility because of how he mistreated Beth and uh, they, they had an affair and he lied to her and she she attempted suicide and all this stuff. And if we like focus knew more about his, the way he or why he chose yeah. Ted and and Harry or like exactly yeah, yeah. it would make. That also would work further to what I was saying about making the audience care if you actually knew the background. Of oh my stuff. god, Josh, you just solved like the beginning of this movie's problem. They could have had a flashback to du- you, like young it. Dustin Hoffman we writing the report. Yeah. And then cut to like 20 and, years later. Oh, and right, it, just give me a shitty 20 years later. Well, even, <laughs> well, even like usually in a movie, this would be terrible, but considering right. the movie that we're describing, what if it opened with a dream sequence and okay. he woke up from it? Because later, Harry's gonna have dreams and the dreams are gonna affect things, so why not? start bringing up that idea of people dreaming about things affecting yeah. them. Is that what the title sequence was? Because I was, I'm trying to remember what it exactly it was. It like was like word blurs and yeah. there's images of like ships, like they show like, their squid in the title sequence now that I'm thinking it about seems like It looks like they took a glass ball and then just shot every like weird images behind it yeah. through the glass It ball. looks like they like they tried to Cindy Sherman the cover of like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea mm-hmm. where they like mm-hmm. had like the titles of what and, like, they were refracted images. There's yeah. definitely the image of, like, a Kraken attacking a ship. But, yeah, oh, my God, Josh, that's such a good point. Because it, they didn't focus on that report at all. No, like that was the reason they were all there. Right, they yeah. even call it the Bible at one yeah. point. Like, this is the Bible of why we're doing the things we're doing. But it's not important enough to, to mention to the audience. Sure. God, yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, so, and again, like then that kind of sets up too. like Beth and Norman really should have died. Like they're both like messed up people and their, their are their fights should have become something more dangerous and deadly. And then Harry being like the last man standing, because as much as he's curious and smart and everything, he also doesn't seem to have any actual ill will. Whereas even like Ted has like, is jealous of Harry and yeah. Captain Barnes is me, but Harry is the one character who is like, I guess pure, and I guess the Navy women didn't really do anything wrong, but they're clearly there to die. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah they there. were stand-ins. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. That's a really good point. Okay, so audience, listen to us and uh, write the better version of Sphere. Write Sp- Sphere Metheus for me and uh, <laughs> have it on my desk Sphere my two. next week. What's Sphere 2's uh, subtitle? I- I'm just going to go with Sphere Electric Boogaloo because I have no good puns right now. Back to the Sphere future. What's Back to the Future 2's subtitle? Does it not have one? Back to the Past? 
I don't know. Back to the Future 2, it's... Does it have a subject? I feel like it's it's spear colon round two. <laughs> yes! Yeah, there we go. You nailed it. Round. Oh my god. It was god. worth struggling for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we can't top that. So this has been the Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. I'm Josh. Thanks again for joining us, Josh. Of course. And thanks for listening. Bye. The Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Carone. All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode. All logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at CarrieSawThis and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash paolocarone or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash paoloerasmus. Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema Podcast, on Twitter at Covert Celluloid, or like us on Facebook. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. The Secret Cinema is a product of Larry Levy Productions. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.